Is anybody with me? Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here this morning. Thanks for joining us today. Before we get into the text and the Word of God, would you bow in prayer with me one more time? Let's give this service over to the Lord. Father, we are asking you today that you would meet with us by your Word. We need your help. You've made it very clear in your Word that we are incapable of learning, of growing, of becoming what we need to be without your help. And so we ask for your help because you are so gracious and abounding in steadfast love and willing to give us your help when we ask. So we ask this morning that you'd give us your help to understand your word this morning. It's a tricky passage. It's a difficult one. So I ask for your help to open our eyes and ears to see the truth today so that Jesus can shine brightly in our church and in this community. And we thank you for the privilege of studying your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John today, the Gospel of John, chapter 6. John, chapter 6, it's a very familiar passage, at least the beginning of it is, but as I mentioned, it's kind of a tricky passage, and we're going to walk through it today, hopefully the Lord will help us here, but as I've been stating for the last several weeks, we're setting some foundations here at Crossroads Church to hopefully just go forward on these foundations in a very strong way. So we're going to take several weeks. We're starting a, a mini-series today, and we're going to title the mini-series Sufficient. Sufficient. And we're going to do at least two or three studies on this idea of sufficiency. Today we're going to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week we're going to talk about the Word of God being sufficient. And Lord willing, if we have time, the following week we will talk about the sufficiency of God's grace. Sufficient. As we're going to, word, we're going to circle back here to today. But we're going to do whatever we can here at Crossroads Church to really tighten that grip, tighten that vision on Jesus, okay? So if things look a little different, if you see things that look a little different or hear things that look a little different, it's all in that effort. And I just want you to know that, that that's what we're seeking to do. We don't want anyone walking in here thinking that it's confusing what we're doing. We want it to be very crystal clear that Jesus is enough. And that's where we're headed to today. Before we get there, though, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you guys believe people in the North Country seem happier than generally speaking in the rest of the parts of the country? Because I do. I've lived in three other states, Iowa, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, and I love those people, but people here in the North Country seem happier. Does anyone agree with me? People seem happier. Sue's saying absolutely not. <laughs> Sue, Sue, does that mean you're not happy? Oh, you're happy. It's everybody else who's not happy. Well, I disagree with Sue. At least maybe I'm in the honeymoon period, Sue. Maybe people are being extra nice to me because I'm here you know, as a, as a new person, and six months will go by, and then they'll start acting like I'm in their way. <laughs> Anyways, I am going to go with the assumption that people are happier here in the North Country. So I'm going to give you ten reasons why I believe that is. Ten reasons I believe people are happier here in the North Country than other parts of the country. Number one is we have all four seasons. Did you know parts of the world do not have all four seasons? But we do. We have fall, winter, early winter, and late winter. And a lot of people don't have that. So we're grateful to have all four seasons here in the North Country. Here's number two is nobody judges you. Nobody judges you here for your lack of suntan. Did you notice in other parts of the country, if you don't have a suntan, you're, you're an outcast? In fact, I remember people telling me all the time, where's your suntan? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. I spend most of my time in the office and at home. I don't have a suntan. But here, nobody cares. Nobody's mentioning my lack of suntan, at least not yet. Uh, number three reason people are happier in the North Country is our biggest dangers are sledding accidents 
and hitting moose that don't exist. <laughs> I like making moose jokes. Uh, number four reason people are happier in the North, North Country is that everybody looks good in flannel and beards. Everybody, including the women. Just teasing. Teasing ladies, none of you have beards, I hope. But everybody looks good in camouflage, right? And beards and, and flannel, everybody does. How about this one? Being in style means a combination of Walmart and Carhartt. Where in other parts of the country, you need some highfalutin brands, right? Not here. Walmart and Carhartt, that'll take care of everything. Number six reason we're happier here is we can hang up the phone on annoying people because we have bad cell service. And I've done it already. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's oh, great. Yeah, I'd love to meet with you. Oh, oh sorry, really bad reception here. Bye-bye. I'm just teasing. You guys know that's a joke, right? But if you do get a random hang-up from me, that conversation might not be going so well. <laughs> Number seven, we're happier in the North Country, that even if the sun doesn't shine for weeks, and sometimes it doesn't, we still have mountains, right? Other parts of the country are so dependent upon the sun coming out. And here, we just climb a mountain, and we're happy. Here's another reason people are happier in the North Country. Unlike some poor souls, and this is sad, who only have one or two ski shops in their town, we have 34. So we are grateful. Here's another reason people are happier in the North Country. While others are getting high, we're getting high. While others are wearing Nike, we're wearing hikey. I don't know. While others are styling their hair with mousse and getting fat on chocolate mousse, we're just trying to find a mousse. In fact, someone helped me with that today. We have a mousse sighting here, people. In case you're wondering, this is going to be the mascot. No, I'm just teasing. But thank you for that mousse. That's going to help. And here's our last one that's going to transition us into the service today, the sermon. And I hope this one's true. I don't know if it's true, but I hope that it is going forward is we have less distractions here in the North Country, which means we can focus more upon serving our Lord Jesus. And that's where we're going today. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 6. And we're going to talk about this idea of Jesus being sufficient. And maybe that's a word you're familiar with. Maybe that's a word you even use. I'm sure it's a word you've heard at some point. Sufficient. Jesus is sufficient, and we're going to find that from the Word of God today. But I want you to understand what this word means by giving you some synonyms for the word sufficient. Here's some synonyms for the word sufficient. It means ample, plenty, copious. Everyone say the word copious. Copious. Isn't that a fun word? Copious. Satisfactory. Pleasing. Acceptable. Agreeable. Enough. Jesus is all of those and more. Jesus is sufficient, and we're going to find that from the Word of God today. I don't know if anyone has ever done this to you when you're reading a book or watching a movie. Uh, back in the days when people rented movies, this happened a lot more. You'd go to the movie store, and you're getting a movie, and someone who's getting the same movie or near you decides to tell you the ending to the movie you're about to rent, right? And it's a, it's a, it's a true crime or whatever, and they're like, I can't believe that Gus is the killer. You're like, I didn't know Gus was the killer. I don't even know Gus yet. And now you know the ending of the story. Well, sometimes people spoil the story. And today I'm going to give you the ending of our story before the beginning. And I'm doing that on purpose because I want you to understand how this story ends because it's very interesting what takes place. 
If you look all the way to the end of the passage in John chapter 6, let's see if I can find a verse for you. Verse 66. This is what it says. After this, and that this is what we're about to learn. After this, after Jesus' discourse, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now that's a sad state of affairs, is it not? But it's because of what Jesus is about to tell us today. And I know I've picked a tricky passage today. And I know that some of us will struggle to see what Jesus is saying. But I also believe if he helps us, if the Spirit helps us today, we will see something magnificent. We will see that Jesus is clearly sufficient. Let's get into the text now. And I'm going to write on the screen a little bit as we go along and take a couple pauses. But I want you to understand what this passage is about. So we're going to start in verse 22 of John chapter 6. And it's a narrative. It's a story. It says, On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus and his disciples had not entered the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Okay, Jesus is not in the region where he was. And we're going to talk about where that context is. But Jesus is not where these people thought he was going to be. He's, he's not around. So let's keep reading. In verse 23, it says, Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread. Again, we'll talk about that here in a minute. After the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. Now that's a very cool part of our story, isn't it? Almost romantic. You have these people who are longing to be around Jesus. In fact, they can't find him, so they decide to get into boats go across the Sea of Galilee to where Jesus is because they're looking for Jesus. And that sets up our story in a very cool way. But I gave you that spoiler alert, so keep that in your back pocket of what's going to take place because these are the bookends. They're seeking Jesus, and at the end of the story, they're abandoning Jesus. So whatever takes place in the middle of this causes these people to go from finding Jesus to leaving Jesus altogether. Now, you guys ever played this game or ever read these books, Where's Waldo? Anyone remember those? Where's Waldo? Now, back in the day, kids, when you would take a trip with your parents in the car and before all these iPads and Insta faces and video games, we had what was called books. <laughs> and we would have to read books in the car when we were traveling with our parents. So my brother and I had some favorites. I liked The Far Side cartoons. He liked Calvin and Hobbes. Let's, let's vote. Farside or Calvin and Hobbes? Farside. Who says Farside? All right. Farside. Farside people. There we are. But we also like this book called Where's Waldo? And in Where's Waldo was a very simple concept. You had to find Waldo. It was often a very complex picture with a lot of things to throw you off because this is what Waldo looks like here. I don't know if you can see that there. He's got kind of a red and white hat, glasses, and they'd give you a picture like this, and you're supposed to find him. Now, I'm going to give you just a moment to find Waldo. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, honest, it's very, very hard. Does anyone find him? I know that's really difficult. I'm going, to, I'm going to help you just a little bit because I can. Is this working at all? Okay, it's really slow. Does anyone see him yet? There he is. You probably thought you'd never play Where's Waldo at church. But there he is. There's Waldo. 
tucked right in the middle there. Well, this is essentially what's happening in John chapter 6. They're looking for Jesus. Jesus was famous by this point. He had a massive following of people wherever he was. I want you to picture a really famous celebrity walking around the town. Probably not Littleton, but, but maybe. Maybe it would happen, right? Maybe a famous celebrity came to Littleton and everyone knew it. Everyone would want to be around this person. And Jesus, for good or bad reasons, was very famous. And so they're looking for Jesus. And in verse 25, it says, When they found him, they found Jesus on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And again, this is a very interesting, sweet story from the beginning. They're, find, they're looking for Jesus. They find him on the other side of the sea, and they say, Rabbi, why'd you leave? We've been looking for you. We want to be around you. You're Jesus. We need you. We love you. And Jesus, because he knows their thoughts, says this in response to these people. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. It is true. You are seeking me. I can't refute that. But not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. What's he talking about? Well, to know that answer, you have to go back to the beginning of John chapter 6. You have to learn the context. And if anyone remembers the beginning of how John chapter 6 goes, let's see if my screen will catch up here. This is what's going on at the beginning of John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. Does anyone remember that? where Jesus miraculously feeds 5,000 people. And the context goes like this. Jesus was teaching on a mountain. And about five to possibly 15,000 people were there because it says 5,000 men, not including the women and children. So there's a massive crowd of people, and they're listening to Jesus' teaching. And it's a long sermon, okay? Not like Pastor Todd's. 45 is about all we can take. This was hours of Jesus' teaching, okay? So much so, the disciples start to get worried for the people's hunger. And so the disciples come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, listen, it's, it's been a long time. It's a great sermon. You're doing a fantastic job. But why don't we pause? And these people are getting hungry and agitated. Why don't we pause, let them go into the towns, get some food, and then maybe they can come back for like a night service. And Jesus says a strange phrase to his disciples. He says, let them stay and you give them something to eat. Now, Ron and Ann Letourneau, my friends, if I ever did this to you guys, if we ever had an influx of several hundred thousands of people and I said, Ron and Ann, make it happen. Get some food pronto for these people. That would probably be the last time we'd be friendly with each other. But Jesus says to disciples, they don't have to leave. Give them something to eat. Well, they do a little bit of scrounging around and they find a little boy's sack lunch and inside are five small loaves and two small fish and they bring this to Jesus kind of like shaking their head going I, I'm sorry Jesus this is all we found going I know this is inadequate and you guys remember the story what does Jesus do he breaks it apart and 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 breaks it apart until five to fifteen thousand people are so stuffed they can't eat anymore and there's 12 baskets of food left over. It's a miracle. It defies the laws of physics. That's what a miracle is. Jesus does something that is outside of the laws of physics. 
and 5,000 people are stuffed and satisfied with food. Now, if we go back here, this makes a little bit more sense. Jesus says, you are seeking me, but not because you saw signs. In other words, not because you saw the miracle and the miracle validates that I am the son of God, because that's what miracles should do. They should validate that Jesus is not just a moral teacher or a good man or a celebrity, but that he came from heaven. He is the only son of God. And Jesus said, that's not why you're seeking me. You're seeking me because you ate your fill of the loaves and that felt good. You're satisfied. That was yummy. You liked that experience. So Jesus says to these people, do not work for the food that perishes. And I'm going to put a word here. I'm going to do this carefully, but I think this is what Jesus is going for. Do not work primarily for the food that perishes. I don't think Jesus is saying, don't work to feed your family. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's basically saying is change your perspective on what's really important. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Now notice there's food and food. And he's going to contrast these two for basically the next several verses. He's going to contrast food with food, bread with bread. And that's going to get a little confusing if you don't understand that he's talking on a completely different realm. They're thinking about bread. Jesus also is thinking about bread, but it's a different kind of bread and different kind of food altogether. And so he says, do not work primarily for the food that perishes. You eat it, it goes through your body, and it's out of your body, and it's gone. Don't work primarily for that. Work for the food that endures forever. And this is a cool part of the story. Jesus says, what your son of man will give to you if you desire it. If you desire the food that endures to eternal life, I'm not here to tease you. I will give it to you if that's what you want. For on him, on Jesus, God the Father has set his seal. Basically, Jesus has what you need. And Jesus is willing to give you what you need. He has it, and he's willing to give it to you if you want it. But it's not earthly food primarily, that Jesus has for you. It's something well beyond that. Okay? So that's what he says to these people. This is kind of a gross picture, I know that. But over here we have kind of a big sloppy pile of excess remains of food. Now I have seven children going on eight. I see this all the time. (laughs) All the time. Every day of our life we are constantly picking up wiping off, dumping scraps of food into the garbage. And it proves what Jesus is talking about. That's what physical food offers you. It sustains you for a short time, and then you have to do it over and over and over and over again because it's not permanent. Don't work primarily for that food. Work for the food that endures to eternal life, the bread of life. So, he says, so they said to him in response, Jesus, what must we be doing to do the works of God? Now, it looks a little bit like they're turning the corner here, like the light bulb went on. And they're like, oh, okay, all right, sorry, we were thinking too earthly there, Jesus. We're sorry. We want to work for the right kind of bread, the right kind of food. What do we need to do in order to do that? That's kind of where you think they're going. But I don't think so after studying this passage a little while. I still think they're focused upon the earthly means, the earthly sustenance of bread and blessings. Basically, what I think they're saying is, Jesus, tell us how to get more bread. 
How do we get more of what you did the other day? How do we get more of that? Just tell us what to do. We'll do it right now, and, and, and you can bless us with the bread. And Jesus, in response, says this to them. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. If you want to do the work of God, start and end by believing in Jesus. Believing in who I am. Believing in what I came to do. Believing in what I really came to offer you. Believe in me, Jesus says. That's what you need to be doing. Not scurrying about trying to get more bread and finding me, but believing in that I came from heaven. I came from God. That I'm the only begotten son of God. That I'm the only savior of the world. That I'm the only true sustenance you need. And this is the first time Jesus is basically telling us, I am sufficient. I'm sufficient. If you find me, if you believe in me, you get everything. Here we have a contrast. Jesus is, again, trying to help these people. These people, if Jesus is a fountain, and I don't want to demean our Lord Jesus, because he's much, much, much beyond this, but sometimes human illustrations help us. So I'm going to figure, help us figure out what he's basically saying, is these people are focusing upon what comes from the fountain the water, the stream, and they're taking a drink of that and that satisfied them for a time and it felt good. And Jesus is basically saying, my goal is to not give you just more sips of water. My goal is to give you the whole fountain. I am the fountain. Yes, I could give you a little piece of bread over here, but I've come to give you the whole bakery. I want you to have everything. I want you to have all of it. I don't want you to have just a sampling, just something that will pass through your body. I want you to have everything, and I'm everything. I've come to give you every one of God's blessings, and they're all within me. So these people respond. It's a dialogue, and they respond and say, Okay, Jesus, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Do you see their minds churning here that's actually not a bad statement and question to make when someone says to you i'm the son of god when someone says to you i've come down from heaven i'm the son of god i'm the savior of the world that is not a bad question to ask them what do you do that to validate yourself that you are the son of god if someone says that to you they'd better have validation that they came from god the problem here there's two problems that i see number one he already did Right before their eyes, only one day earlier, they saw Jesus take a small boy's lunch and fill five to 15,000 bellies with 12 baskets of food left over. He already did. He validated that only the Son of God could do that. Number two, what are these people thinking of? And Jesus proved it. He said it already. You're not thinking about the signs. You're not thinking about the validation. What are you really thinking about? It's more bread. Why don't you do another miracle, another sign, another great wonder before our eyes, Jesus? Because if you do, we might get more food and more bread and be more satisfied. They still don't get it. So they say to Jesus, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now you guys remember that story, right? The children of Israel are in the wilderness and they're hungry, really hungry. And God does another miracle. He drops this thing called manna from heaven and it falls on the ground and the people collect it and they eat and nourish themselves and it's another miracle. God drops food 
from the heavens. And it's similar to what Jesus did at the beginning of John 6, where he gave them food, essentially from, from God, from heaven. And so these people are going, listen, that's kind of what we're looking for. We want something similar to when the manna fell. We want something similar to when you made all that bread happen for us. So either one of those, Jesus, we'll take either one. Do something similar to that again. That's what they're hoping for. They're not looking for validation. They're not looking to believe. They're looking to be filled in an earthly sense. So here's the complexity. Here's the, the fork in the road, I guess you could say, between Jesus and what he's dealing with with these people. So Jesus says to them, because he's still trying here, he's still trying to make inroads with them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. Now, you did get bread from the heavens. The manna fell from the sky. It did come from the heavens. But that's not the bread that God desired to give his people from heaven. Jesus says, My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Do you see the difference between bread that sustains you for a short time and the bread that Jesus is talking about that can give eternal life. They want physical bread. Jesus wants them to have spiritual bread. So they're going back and forth saying, Jesus, give us more bread. And Jesus is like, I'd love to give you more bread, but you're looking for the wrong kind of bread. I've come to give you something more profound than what you're asking, and I just hope you see it today. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 8.22, follow me. It's such a simple concept. I love the simplicity in Jesus. Basically what he's saying is, I'm sufficient. Sorry for the messy handwriting there. I'm sufficient. If you find me, if you follow me, you get everything, including forgiveness of your sins, including eternal life. If you follow Jesus, you not only get bread, physical sustenance, physical care, physical blessings, but you get the whole fountain. You get the whole bakery. You get every single blessing that God and heaven offer to mankind if you will simply follow me. And that's what he's trying to get these other people to understand is it's more than physical sustenance. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Now again, I hope the light bulb is going on there. And they're going, okay, all right. We're desiring the wrong kind of bread. Jesus, we want your kind of bread. Give us your kind of bread. But again, I don't think so because we're going to keep reading and these people are still going to struggle seeing what Jesus is talking about. And here today in our culture, we have a problem that's very, very similar to this. Do you guys know this problem? Have you heard of this problem before? There's a name for it. It's called the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel goes something like this. If you come to church, if you give your tithes and offerings, if you serve in the church, if you read your Bible, God will give you better earthly happiness. Your cars will be better, your homes will be bigger, your friends will be more, your marriage will be happier. If you simply 
Give something to God. God will then turn around and give you something great as well. It's a wonderful two-way street. God gets your worship. You get bigger cars and happiness. And the problem about it is, is it's way, way too earthly. It's not a bad concept. It's just so shallow. Jesus is going, no, that's not what I came to offer you. Not earthly happiness. Not because it's bad, but because it's too shallow. It's not significant. It's not profound enough. I've come to get you something much, much better than that. So they said to Jesus, sir, give us this bread always. And he plans to. He wants to, if that's what they desire. <laughs> and I'm going to be honest. The more I look at this, the more I realize these people are still thinking about earthly stuff. It's kind of like a kid in a candy store. The first time my kids went to Chudders, or the first time I went to Chudders. <laughs> Um, I think they're thinking, he's talking about bread. You hear him, he's talking about bread. We're close, guys. We're close to the bread. If we just stay on this track, we're getting close to another miracle, another feeding. It's going to be a wonderful thing. So, sir, give us this bread always. They're all excited for what Jesus is about to do. He's talking about bread. We're about to get bread. Another miracle is coming. I think that's what's happening here. And Jesus continues to teach them. And again, it's probably a little disheartening because they're expecting something to come down from heaven or from the sky. And Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. I don't want you confused anymore. I'm going to tell you straight away. I am the bread of life. I am. Not bread, not something. It's me. It's always been me. It was always supposed to be me. It will always be me for the rest of eternity. I'm the bread of life. I'm the thing you need. I'm the one that comes down from heaven. And whoever comes to me, look at this, they shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Is he talking about physically? You'll never have a dry mouth, a never dry throat. You'll never have a hunger pain? No. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something much more profound. If you come to me and believe in me and follow me, I will literally take care of every single one of your needs from now until eternity. You will never truly be in want. You'll never hunger. You'll never thirst. You'll have everything you need from now till forever. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Jesus even says these people still don't believe. They don't believe that I am. What's our word, people? Sufficient. They want the stuff. They want the stuff. And this brings up a problem that many of us commonly fall into. This is a trap from the devil. That we want God's stuff. But we don't really want God. We want God's blessings. But we don't really need to follow him. And it happens to a lot of us many times over. In fact, I think there's an illustration of this. Now, we don't live near a beach very close, but anyone like the beach? Anyone like going to the beach? Yeah, right? The beach is a wonderful place. In fact, people love the beach so much, they want to put homes right on the beach because it's so glorious to sit by the ocean with the sunset and the birds and just set up a home right there, and, and it's kind of like a paradise on earth. And I've thought about this going, you know what's so interesting about that? Guess who made the ocean? Guess who made the sun? Guess who made that bird? Guess who made the clouds? Guess who made the stars? Guess who made the mountains? 
We all want the sunset and the beach and the mountains. But we stop there. Instead of going, if that is that magnificent, then what is he like? If this, his creation, that spoke a word, and that he, that's what he did, that's what we have because of his one single word, what must he be like? They stop short and say, I just want the sun, I just want the water, I just want the sand in my toes. Instead of going, I have to have the fountain. If this is that good, I can only imagine how good he is. But sadly, we don't. We park ourselves right on the beach and we say, that's enough for me. And Jesus is trying to tell these people today, it's not enough. It's not enough. If you live on the beach with a house, you will eventually die and you'll lose it all. If you eat only bread for the rest of your life, you will die and nothing will happen. But, as Jesus said in Matthew 6, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, what will happen? All these things will be added unto you. This Jesus isn't saying, I don't care about your physical sustenance. I don't care about your physical welfare. He's not saying anything like that. He's saying once you get the fountain, you get it all. You're looking for only the samplings of bread that I gave you. And I've come to give you something much, much more. And if you seek first the kingdom of God, it's all yours. And that's a promise from God to us that we will have everything if we simply follow Jesus. So we've looked at this a couple of times, but Jesus says these statements in the word of God where he says, I am. I am. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the true vine. And what is he telling us in a nutshell? What's our word? I'm sufficient. You don't need anything else. Once you find me, you find everything. Once you follow me, you have everything. You don't need to scurry about trying to get this and this and this and this to be happy. All you need to do is follow me and you have everything you need from now until eternity. So Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And the funny thing about our world is that most people want eternal life. But not enough. If eternal life fell into their lap, they'd be thankful for it. But Jesus came to offer this world eternal life, and we won't search for it. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. There it is again. I am the bread of life. Your fathers, interestingly enough about that story with Moses and the children in the wilderness, is they ate the manna in the wilderness. They ate it. It was glorious. It was wonderful. It was a gift from God. And then what happened? They died. Because that's all they wanted. All they wanted was the manna. All they wanted was the drink. All they wanted was the blessing from God. Instead of God himself. God was available. God was offering him, himself to these people. And they said, I'm sorry. Give us more water. Give us more manna. Give us more quail. And they never got it. And Jesus is trying to help this next generation of people get it. So he's using as much explanation as you can. He says, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I don't want you to die. I don't want you to have a great meal 
and then pass away. I don't want you to have a great drink and then you die and spend an eternity in a godless hell. I don't want that for any of my people, any of my creation. I've come so that you don't have to die. So that one may eat of this bread that I came to offer, the real bread, and live forever. And our famous John 3.16 passage says the same thing. For God so loved the world that he gave them bread. Is that what it says? Gave his only son. That whoever eats the bread, no, whoever believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. It's all there. It's all there in one verse. If you simply see the son, if you see his sufficiency, if you believe in him, if you follow him, you will have everything you could possibly need for the rest of eternity because it's all in Jesus. What's our word? He's sufficient. Verse 51, I says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I am. I don't want anyone confused. I don't want anyone confused about, why, why, about what our church is doing here today. I want everyone to know that this is about Jesus. What we're doing here today is about Jesus. I don't want anyone confused. I want, Jesus doesn't want anyone confused about who the bread is. He says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. He will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the, for the life of the world is my flesh. Now this is where things start to get a little uncomfortable for the people. For everyone listening. Jesus just now talked about maybe a metaphor, maybe a figurative thing. And now he says, the bread that I'm going to give you for the life of the world is my flesh. These are the words of Jesus. And I told you, this is a tricky passage and we need eyes to see this today. So the Jews are there because they're always there disputing, um, undermining Jesus' ministry. And they say to themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? What, Jesus? What are you talking about? Instead of bread, you want us to eat your flesh? What? Do you hear what this man is saying? Guys, why aren't you in an uproar right now? Why don't you leave right now? Why don't you completely discredit his ministry right now? How could he possibly give us his flesh to eat? Don't you love what Jesus does? He doubles down on it. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Did Jesus have to double down on it? No. He could go, wait, 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 wait a minute. That's not what I meant, everybody. You know, be very political about it. You misrepresented me there, Jews. That's not what I'm talking about. Let me explain myself. No. He doubles down. And why does he double down? And this is, you could find this in Scripture. You know the reason that Jesus does that? is because he's only giving this today to those who can see it. And often he's spoken these things called parables. And Jesus explained one time why he spoke in parables. He said, the parables are so that I would reveal my truth to my people and I would further hide it from those who hate me. So by doubling down on this statement here, he is unlocking it for those who desire him and he's further locking it for those who hate him by wrapping it in a mystery and an enigma. I don't know what you're like when you come to something in Scripture that sounds hard to hear. Or you listen to a sermon like this that sounds hard to hear and weird to hear. And you get a little frustrated, you get a little perplexed, you get a little confused. Are you willing to continue to dig? Are you willing to go deeper? There was a period in my life where I wasn't. 
As soon as I heard something off-putting from a message or the Bible, I was done. I'm done. I close it up. That's it. That's not what I wanted to hear, Jesus. Thanks anyways. I'm going to go find my joy and blessing somewhere else. Instead of going, what does that mean? What does that mean and how do I understand it? Jesus continues. He says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I, I will raise him up on the last day. There's a promise from God. And my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, I'm not going to leave you there hanging there today, okay? We are going to explain that to some degree. But I need you to understand something, too. It's deep. And it's complicated. And it's profound, and it's all of those things on, on purpose. Jesus did that on purpose so that you and I would go, wow, what a mountaintop. Wow, our God is complex. Our God is profound. I don't know what that means. But I'm sure i going to climb up that mountain and take a look at it. That's what Jesus was hoping for. <laughs> um, we have these things in our culture, right? In our um, English language, they're called uh, figures of speech. And maybe you guys use these. Has anyone ever used this one? I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. Uh, I like this cartoon because of the horse. He's going, um, moo? Guy looks a little hungry. You might want to eat me. And then this one over on the other side says, I'm all ears. That's kind of what's going on here. Jesus is speaking a very deep, profound spiritual statement, and these people are seen only with physical lenses. Going, he just asked us to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And yes, he did. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. I am, what's our word? I'm really getting to know that word. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live Forever. Do you see the difference? You can get a good meal. You can get a great blessing from God, and it still won't be enough. If God sent bread down today, or sent what's something we need here in the North Country? Oil, gasoline, um, eggs, moose. Um, we'd be grateful. He sent snow the other day, and I was grateful. But if God only sends blessings and he doesn't send his son, guess what still happens? We die in our sins and we go to hell. But if he sends the true bread from heaven, that once we eat of that bread, we will live forever. Then we will praise God for the rest of eternity. And so Jesus is pointing out once again his sufficiency. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the true vine. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection, the life. I am everything. I am everything you need. Everything you need you will find in Jesus Christ. And I have found it in Jesus Christ. And I was looking many different places for a long period of my life. And then I once took a look, a long look at Jesus and realized, why am I looking to the right and to the left when my Lord has it all? Now, this is where things get complex for our audience. Jesus was teaching these things in the synagogue in Capernaum. And when many of, her, many of, his, many of his disciples... His true followers heard this. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? 
And you might be thinking that here. Who can understand this? Who, what does this actually mean? This is so difficult. Jesus, why would you say such a thing? Why not stop right there and just explain what you mean so that we can all get on the same page? This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? I'm going to read you a quote from C.S. Lewis that maybe you guys have heard before. It's from a book called Mere Christianity. I don't know if you could see that, so I'm going to read it out loud. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, he says, A man who was merely a man, notice that phrase there, and said the sort of things that Jesus said, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you could spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open for us. He did not intend to. What is Jesus saying? I am sufficient. I'm everything you need. You find me, you find everything. You believe in me, you have everything. I'm not a good moral teacher. I'm not a man. I am the man God. I am the God man. And I've come here to save you from your sins. Now Jesus, again, he knows all the thoughts of us now. He knows all the thoughts of the people back then. He says, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, decides to say to them, do you take offense at this? Does this bother you, what I'm saying today? And if it does, what are you going to do one day when you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? If this is a hard saying for you today, then what's going to happen one day when after I die and resurrect from the grave and I'm standing with you and I ascend into the clouds? What's your mind going to tell you then? Jesus said, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And here we have a little... battle going on between the physical and the spiritual. The people are looking physically to Jesus, going, Jesus, give us physical blessings. We want physical bread. Bless us physically. And Jesus is saying, I do have bread, but it's on a whole different realm. It's in a spiritual realm. And I want to take you there. I want to give you that bread. But you have to desire that bread first. The flesh is going to be no help at all in receiving this kind of bread. You're going to need spiritual lenses to see it. So he says to his disciples, one day I'm going to be lifted out of your sight, taken back into the heavens. And if you don't believe this now, what are you going to believe when you see that right before your physical eyes? And that actually happened in Acts 1. He was lifted up on a cloud and took them out of his sight, out of their sight, excuse me. What did he believe then? When you see Jesus ascend out of your picture, out of your presence, and he's lifted up into the clouds, what are you going to say then if you can't believe my sayings now? The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. They're not physical. Jesus is not talking about any kind of weird cannibalism, anything weird like that at all. He's talking on a spiritual level. And he's saying to them, you have to get on a spiritual level to receive this. But there are still some of you who do not believe. Now, this is our spoiler alert. Jesus gave a sermon, and he did his best to unlock the beauty and the value of his sufficiency. But after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And that's a very, very sad end of our story.
Now, it's not the true end. But I asked you this question, what do you do when something is hard and complex in God's word or in one of his messages like it is today? What do you do with that? Do you shut it up? Do you say it's over? I can't take that anymore. That's not what I wanted to hear. Because I'm going to be honest with you. I've read this book straight through. And there's a lot in this that is hard to read. There's a lot in this that I have trouble understanding. It is a very complex book. And sometimes I'll come to several uncomfortable passages that make me feel convicted and make me feel bad. But if I shut it up, if I'm done with it at that point, I get nowhere. But if I continue to ask, continue to pray, to continue to search, guess what the Son of God has promised he will do if you want the bread of life? I will give it to you. If you desire, if you dig, if you keep searching, I will give you this bread. So after this little exodus takes place and all these people get up and walk out of Jesus' midst and apparently never come back to Jesus, Jesus is left there with only the twelve. We could be talking hundreds and thousands of people that day who got up, walked away from Jesus and said, no more, that's it, I'm done. I don't know what he's talking about, but this sounds weird to me, I'm done. Jesus says this to the twelve. Do you want to go away as well? Is this where it ends with us? I, I teach something hard, something difficult, something on a level that you can't yet see. Is this, is this it for us, disciples? And this is Simon Peter's response, the spokesman of the disciples. He said, Lord, I love this answer. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come and believed and have come to know that you are the only one of God. The Holy One of God, excuse me. Peter doesn't understand at this point what Jesus is talking about, but he does know one thing. Jesus alone is sufficient. Peter makes this conclusion in his mind. If I leave Jesus today, based on what he just said there, where do I go? To whom do I go? I need my sins forgiven. I need true bread from God. I need eternal life. I need protection. I need provision. I need blessings. I need daily strength. I need eternal strength. I need an eternal place to live one day. If I leave Jesus, where do I go? And it's a brilliant answer. Peter's not saying, I understand everything. I get it, Lord. He's saying, Lord, I've learned by now that you are sufficient. I've seen your miracles. I've heard your teachings. I've seen your personal care in my life. And I'm not going to let one thing you say unravel the entire mess. I'm going to keep staying with you. And so are the 12, except for one, of course. And we're going to stay with you, Jesus. Because you have the words of the eternal life. And I think that's a brilliant way to talk about our Lord. When we come to those passages, listen to those sermons that are a little hard to hear where do we go? If we leave Jesus, whom shall we go? Jesus has the words of eternal life. And he will help us if we want to know. So we've learned that Jesus is sufficient. He's the great I am. So what do we do with that? And we're going to close with a few applications here today. Number one, if Jesus is sufficient, and I believe he is, and if you can see it here today, you can understand that Jesus is sufficient. He didn't come to offer you anything physical primarily. He came to offer you everything spiritually, and that includes the physical blessings as well. But number one, if Jesus is sufficient, 
Don't look to anyone else primarily. And the devil wants you to. He wants you to look to anyone else. Doesn't matter who. Doesn't matter where. He'll give you any substitution you want. Any sort of semblance of godliness or religion that's not Jesus, he'd love for you to have that instead of Jesus. But if Jesus is sufficient, we need to not look to anyone else primarily. We need to look to who? To God, to God's Son. Number two, if Jesus is sufficient, we need to believe and obey everything he says, including the hard stuff. And this today is a hard thing. I don't even entirely understand what Jesus is talking about by that statement. I've got to keep digging. I've got to keep searching. I've got to keep wrestling with that passage because it's hard. It's complex. But if Jesus says something, and he has the gate, the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and he has my forgiveness and my salvation, the best thing that I can do is when Jesus says, watch out for that step, is to watch out for that step. If Jesus says, don't go that way, Todd. Don't go that way, Todd. If Jesus says, follow me, Todd, learn from me, Todd, sit beneath me, Todd, then I better do what he says because he has the words of eternal life and he's looking out for my soul. Number three, find all your sustenance in him. And I know it's a slippery slope because once you start moving away from Jesus, even subtly, the devil is going to make sure that you slide down that slope. Because all he has to do is one thing. If Jesus is sufficient, the devil has one single thing he needs to do. That's all he's got to do. Because the devil's greatest tactic is not to tell you that Jesus is not the Son of God. Most of us are too smart for that. He just basically has to say this. You need something else. You need other things. You need other people. You need other spiritual helps. You need other tools. You need other connections. You need other profound things in this life. You need to be rich. You need to be happy. You need a lot of friends. You need a lot of toys. You need to live somewhere great. You need a lot of possessions. And he's just going to fill those gaps of your life till you don't see Jesus anymore. He doesn't want you to see the sufficiency of Jesus because if Jesus is sufficient and we know it, guess where we go? We go only to Jesus. Number four, be careful with additions, subtractions, and subtle replacements because they are subtle and they're all over this world. And unfortunately, because we live in a digital age, you can get those additions, subtractions, and subtle replacements at rapid rates. They can come right to your mind, right to your soul. And, and excuse me, the devil would love for you to have anything, anything but Jesus. And therefore, if Jesus is sufficient, stay very near him. And I told you, I'm not going to leave you hanging. I want you to understand today what that means. If Jesus is sufficient, and he is, how do we eat? How do we eat his flesh and drink his blood? How? I don't want anyone today leaving here confused on that. I don't want anyone walking out of here going, well, he didn't answer the question. What does that mean? That's the thing that I struggle with the most on that passage. Pastor, explain it to me. Okay, I will. But I'm going to tell you this honest truth. I don't know it entirely. I'm just going to tell you the things that I do know. Because John 15, Jesus says, I'm the true vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
Apart from me, you can do nothing. So if I could boil this passage down to one thing, how do you feed on Jesus? How do you drink from Jesus? You abide in him. And where do you find Jesus? Eat of this often. Open it often. Read it often. Meditate on it. Pray over it. Talk about it with your friends. Eat all the time because when you eat of this, you eat of Jesus. Where else? Prayer. You want to feed on Jesus? Men, abide in Jesus by talking to Jesus, communicating with Jesus over and over and over again. Nourish your soul. But you already said the next one. What was the next one? Someone said it. Church. Right here, right here, right today, we are eating on Jesus, whether you wanted to or not. You are eating from him, eating from his words, nourishing your soul, nourishing your spirit so that you can walk out there in a dark world and live righteously. But someone said another one, and I think it's a really good one, and one that we could overlook. Because we do this once a month here at Crossroads. It's called communion. In communion, it's a very powerful representation of John chapter 6. Because in communion, even though it's a symbol, we take bread and we pass it out, and that bread represents the body of Christ. We take juice and we pass it around, and that juice represents the blood of Christ. Now, when we eat the juice and drink the physical bread, nothing magical happens. But what we're doing is we're symbolizing this one statement here. Jesus is sufficient. He's all I need. He's all my soul needs. And I want you to understand that today, that Crossroads Church is going to put a period there. As much as it depends upon us while we're here, I want us to strive for that, that Jesus is enough. I don't want to look to the right or the left. I don't want to add on a lot. I don't want to subtract anything. I just simply want to tighten our vision on this one truth, that Jesus is enough. And if we believe that and we build our ministry around the fact that Jesus is sufficient, I don't think we can make a better ministry than that. I don't think our church can be any stronger than building our entire foundation upon that fact. Jesus is sufficient. Would you bow and pray with me? Father, I'm sure there are better ways to teach this really hard passage. And I know to some degree we failed at seeing exactly what we should see today, but we've gotten closer than maybe we have been before. And I thank you for that help that we could see the deep things of the scriptures and not glaze over them and gloss over them and go, oh, I don't know what that means. Oh, that sounds weird. Let's move on. I want us to search it and know it because it's a gift from you and I want you to understand that we will. We will, Father, if you'll help us. I hope these people in this room will go, I, I will come back. I will continue to come and search and dig for this truth because to whom will I go except the one who has the words of eternal life? Father, help us to see that Jesus is sufficient and go nowhere else today, nowhere else this week. Find all of our sustenance at his feet. And once we do, Father, we will understand that Jesus is sufficient. He's always been sufficient. He always will be sufficient. And we thank you for the sufficiency of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.
Now, I'm going to play a song for you today, and this is a song that can go either way. You can sit in your seats. I don't, nobody needs to stand while we play this song. You could either sing along because the lyrics are on this song, but you could also just sit and listen because the words are powerful. And I just want you to reflect and worship on the sufficiency of Jesus as we close.